Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome you and welcome everyone online, and especially if you are new to the church. Thank you for being here with us and worshiping with our church family. Uh, my name is Greg, if I haven't met you personally, and um, I want to give a special welcome to Pastor Igor and his wife, Lena, from Ukraine. Would you guys help me welcome them? Yeah. Woo. All the way from Ukraine, where there is a war raging right now, but God has been protecting them and providing for them. So we will bring them up at the end of the service. Hey, we've been in the series in the book of Ephesians. We just kicked it off last week. And in the beginning part of chapter one, Paul starts off with this praise. Just as a recap, if you were here last week, he gives praise for these spiritual blessings that we have if we're in Christ. You guys remember what those are? There's five spiritual blessings. I'll put it up for you. He says, if you are in Christ, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are included, and you are sealed. We said when people look at your life closely, what should they really begin to see in your life? They should start to see charis, God's grace, God's amazing grace. That's what he gives praise for, right? He gives praise that we see God's charis. Um, he goes on from giving praise to now praying, from praise, and now he prays for their faith. And I want to show you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, how he starts praying for these Ephesians, uh, these believers in the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, your apps, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 1? And I'm going to read the first couple verses for you. Uh, it goes like this. Here's his prayer. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Would you highlight, note that word knowledge, underline it, whatever you got to do. But we're talking about knowledge because this is his overarching prayer that the Holy Spirit would give you, church, a knowledge of him. Now, what is knowledge? Well, there's a couple words in the original Greek language that can be translated to know. One of the words translated to know is the word oida. Everyone say oida. One more time, oida. Oida, that means to know or to perceive. In fact, it comes from a word that means to see, to see. So what does seeing have to do with knowing? Well, it's kind of like when you mentally get something, like conceptually, you see it in your mind. Have you ever had that moment where someone's explaining to you and you go, ah, I see, I get it, I see. You're understanding it conceptually right here in the mind. That's oida. And then there's another word uh, in the Greek translated to know, and that's the word ginosko. Everyone say ginosko. Ginosko. That's different from just a head knowledge. It's kind of a knowledge that comes when you experience something firsthand. You have a relationship. You're engaging with something or someone where you're really understanding it beyond a cognitive understanding. You have a relationship with it. It's kind of like this. I've been uh, riding mountain bikes seriously for about maybe three and a half years now. I ride with a group of friends. We go out pretty regularly. And our group of friends, we always make fun of these two guys in our group, TJ and Johnny. We make fun of TJ and Johnny because while the rest of us ride real mountain bikes, they ride e-bikes. 
You know the bikes that, that have an electric motor that provide power for you as you pedal. It's assisting you. And so while we're relying on our muscles and our strength and our endurance, they're relying on the power of an electric motor. And I remember when TJ was trying to convince us, no, trust me, he said this. He says, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It's like you're riding the same amount of time, but you get so much more in. You cover so much ground. You're not even tired. You can keep on going. Yada, 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 yada. Oida. We know. We get it. We, we get your reasons. We get it. We get it. Well, uh, earlier this year, I got my hands on an e-bike, and I tried it for myself. <laughs> I just got two words for you. Game changer. It's a game changer. I'm telling you what they were saying. This is legit. Like, I'm riding the same amount of time. I'm climbing the hills twice as fast. It's like I got my own personal chairlift that brings me to the top of the hills. I'm descending with confidence because they're heavier. They're more stable. I feel like I'm not going to fall. And check this out. I'm riding these rides, same amount of time. I have an app that tells me that I'm actually burning more calories than usual. Why? Well, because I'm pedaling a lot more, I'm pushing a lot harder, and I'm actually burning more calories. In fact, everybody in our group, they've all gotten their own e-bikes, and I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It's changed our life. Why didn't they tell us this earlier? That's Ginosko. At one point, we knew, we, we get it, we get it. But when we engaged and experienced ourselves, that's Ginosko. And Paul here, he's writing to these Christians in Ephesus who know who Jesus is. They have this oida knowledge of him that he died on the cross for them and they've accepted it by faith. And that's important. Every Christian has to have oida. We should grow in that. But Paul here is praying specifically that they would not just oida him, that they would ginosko him. Epigenosis is the word he used here. That's the noun form. Epi is this prefix in front of the word that intensifies the kind of knowledge he's praying for in verse 17. That they would not just know with the eyes of their minds, but that they would really know him, that they would know, know him with the eyes of their hearts. And so we look at verse 18 again. He's praying, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And so Paul gives three things that he's praying that they would really experience of Christ in them. That they would know in a very real, that they would know, know these things. And so if you're taking notes, I want to break each of those three things down a little bit more for you this morning. So the first is this, if you're writing notes, that you would know, know the hope of God's call. Not just know, but that you would know, know the hope of God's call. Look at verse 18 one more time. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now when the Bible talks about hope, it's usually in reference to a future hope. A hope that is to come. And that's important for Christians because the reality is sometimes the present cost can be so high when we obey the call to follow Christ. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, these Christians in Ephesus. Just to give you some background, in that culture, there was a strong belief in spirits and deities. There's a lot of magical practices and belief in the occult. 
along with the very popular worship of Artemis there in, uh, in Ephesus, there was this belief that there are evil spirits and good spirits who play a very big part in everyday life. And so they would invoke the names of different spirits and gods to show them favor and, and, pract- and, and uh, benefit them by protecting them or providing for them. And so practicing magic was profitable for a lot of people. And yet when the gospel made its way to Ephesus, some people realized we need to give this up. And they started repenting from their magical practices, turning to Christ. And here's what Luke tells us happened. In, in the book of Acts 19, verse 19, he says this. He says, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, some scholars uh, estimate it conservatively. I've read it's about maybe around $6 million worth of stuff they burned up. On the far end, some people have said it's upwards of a billion dollars that they were burning up in that bonfire. Needless to say, it was costly to repent from your old way and then now to follow Jesus. It cost a lot for a lot of people. It wasn't always easy and it wasn't always cheap. Sometimes there's great loss, and that's not just financially. I I know a friend who was threatened with the loss of her family when they threatened to cut her off if she continued to be a Christian. We all have a friend, Beckett Cook, who was on the stage, and he shared how he gave up. He repented from his LGBTQ lifestyle to, to now live for Christ, and he was blacklisted from Hollywood. That was his career in the entertainment industry. I know a friend who had a very profitable liquor business and sold it when he became a Christian because he realized that even though he didn't have a problem with liquor, he was helping other people have a problem with liquor. And so if the cost of following Jesus can be so high, if there can be such great loss, then what is the hope for those who obey this call? What's the hope? And Paul, the same writer of Ephesians, writes to the church in Rome. In Romans 8.30, he writes this. And those whom he predestined, those whom he chose, he also called. What's the benefit of being called? Well, those who are called are also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Highlight that word. Make note of that word glorified. See, because the hope for those who obey the call is that whatever is lost in this life here on earth, one day will be a faint memory. It will be a faint memory once we are glorified in heaven. That moment in the twinkling of an eye when we are made perfect and whole for the rest of eternity. So this past Tuesday, this true story is so vivid to me. We're driving down the freeway. There's five people in my car. And on the freeway, you're going at a pretty high speed, right? And so we're on this freeway, and I'm, I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I see a sea of red lights flash. All these cars are stopped, and I'm going so fast that I'm trying to hit the brakes to stop quick enough, but I'm realizing I don't think I'm going to stop in time. So I'm swerving, and so I swerve to the left, and I end up sideswiping a car. And to try to correct it, I turn hard to the right, and I end up hitting an embankment, and then going back into land, and I rear end the car in front of me. 
Now everybody in the car was okay. Nobody was hurt at all. And so in that moment, the heaviness of my heart is the responsibility I now have to pay for that car and my car and that car. I'm thinking about all the damages and the price I have to pay. And there's this great sense of weight upon me, this despair. And then I woke up from that dream. I was like, oh, God, it was just a dream. Have you ever felt that relief when you have this dream and you're like, oh, this is so heavy and this is terrible. What's going on? And you wake up and you're like, oh, God, it was a dream. Thank you, though. Thank you. And I know that if I were to look out the window, my car would be perfectly okay. It's okay. And I share that with you because in an instant, things changed. And for some of you, I understand that you're living in the reality right now. That it's actually like a nightmare. You wish it was a dream, but you're not waking up. Think about Pastor Igor and Lena who are living in a nightmare right now as the war rages in, in Ukraine. You wish it would just be over. And yet the hope of those who are called is that one day in a moment we will be glorified and everything will actually be Okay, if you are in Christ, everything will be perfect, renewed, restored, and that will be your reality for the rest of eternity. It is there that our health and our hurts will be restored. It is there that our wealth, our true wealth, and our worth will be realized. It's there that even our bodies and our appearance will be renewed and refreshed. The moment we are glorified because we have been called by Christ. You're not just justified. Praise God for that but you will be glorified. So whatever is suffered here temporarily, whatever is suffered here temporarily will be painful no more when we are glorified for eternity. And I'm not trying to minimize anything that anyone is going through. I know some of you are going through some heavy, heavy stuff. I'm just praying that that maximized inside of your heart would be the knowledge that you would know, know, that you would really know the hope of the called. So if you're called, you will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number two, he prays that you would know, know the worth of God's inheritance. That you would know, know the worth of God's inheritance. We go back to Ephesians 18, the the second part of that. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, That's the word that comes up in the Bible quite a bit, inheritance. What is an inheritance? Well, very simply, an inheritance is something that you will one day fully receive. Like when you have an inheritance that's waiting for you, it's already yours, but not yet. Like it's yours on on paper. In theory, it's yours, but there will be a day when you will fully redeem it and fully have it in your possession. And, I, and you read the scriptures and oftentimes the emotion that's carried whenever inheritance is talked about is oftentimes this, this joy, this anticipation, this satisfaction when you fully and totally have whatever is promised to you. What a glorious day when you have your portion. That's another word they use for inheritance or your treasure, your prized possession. It was uh, September... 8th of 2002, and I'll never forget it. It was a table kind of like this for two people, and we were sitting right there by the window at the Starbucks, right there in the Peninsula Center. And it was just me, and right in front, I was so nervous because right in front of me was this really cute girl. 
her name was Monica, and uh, we, we were sitting there, and we were about to have the DTR. You guys know what that is if you grew up in church, the define the relationship talk? And so for the first time, we were going to talk about how we felt about each other. And so I'm sitting there, my, my palms are sweaty, mom's spaghetti, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and right there, right next to our frappuccinos, it was laid out all our feelings right there on the table, how we felt about each other, and thank God they were mutual. But as we were talking, we realized that there was a person, a figure in our lives whom wasn't supportive of us being together, and that person mattered to us. And so without getting into the details, we decided the doors were currently closed, and so we decided, let's just pray and wait. And so we prayed and waited, and we prayed and waited for an entire year. We just prayed and waited, and after about a year, we checked in with this person. It still was not okay. So doors were still closed, and so we continued to pray and wait, pray and wait. Two years go by. And those years did not fly by. They painfully crept by. They were so slow. They crawled by. And after two years, doors were still closed. Few months go on. And out of nowhere, out of the blue, just wasn't ready for this. But that person comes to me and says, Greg, it's okay. Go ahead and pursue Monica. You, 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 You can have her. And... I said, are you sure? Person goes, yeah. I said, okay. I walked away. And I was like, ka-chow! Like, I was like, so, yes! Like, I couldn't believe it because I knew I had her heart. She had mine. And we were just praying and waiting. But that moment, if you could feel what I felt, was it was like, you're mine. You're finally mine. Like, what I knew was true is finally a reality, and there is this overwhelming sense of relief and joy and unbelief that this is actually happening. She's mine. And in the Bible, they might communicate it as saying, you are my inheritance. That is my portion, my joy, my treasure. It is mine. And oftentimes in the Bible, we see this truth that God is our inheritance, Christ is our portion. That's what being glorified is really about because heaven is not really heaven if Christ isn't there. So Jesus is the joy of heaven. That's true. But I want to slow you down and really show you what Paul is saying here. Because notice what he's saying here. Have you ever thought about the reverse is also true, that what Paul is praying is that you would know, that you would know, know, that it's actually you who are God's inheritance. Look at verse 18 again. Verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what are riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Not that you would know God's glorious inheritance for the saints, but right here he's praying that you would know that It's in the saints. You are his prized possession. The hope of his calling is true that one day we will get God. We will get to enjoy him forever. But it's as if like God is spinning it around and saying, look, one day he will get to have you and enjoy you forever in his presence. The reality is he already has us. One day we will completely be together in glory. As we shout, yes, God, you are my inheritance. 
It's like God is spinning this around, and I just imagine him spinning around us, at least figuratively, saying, you are my inheritance, my treasure, my prized possession. Church, that you would know, that you would know, know your worth in his eyes. I don't care what your position says about you. I don't care what your coworkers have said about you. I don't care what your ex has said about you. I don't care what your title says about you. I don't care what your rival says about you. That you would know, know what your God says about you. Your worth in his eyes. That you are his inheritance. And so he prays that the church would know the hope of his call. That you would know your worth in his eyes. And number three that you would know, know the greatness of God's power. That you would know, know the worth and greatness of God's power. This is what he talks about for the rest of the time. So look at verses 19 through 21 with me. He says, and that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness. Another version says the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so when Paul says that you would know that his power is higher than all rule, power, authority. He, he's not talking about earthly rulers, right? We, we said earlier that in Ephesus that there was this strong belief in, in deities and, and good and evil spirits in the invisible realm. And what they would do is they would invoke the names of these gods or these spirits to, to help them or to show them favor. So that was very common in Ephesus. Specifically, originating in that city, historians tell us there is this thing called the Ephesia Grammata. Ephesia Grammata, which translates the Ephesian letters or the Ephesian words. And there are a list of six names or six words that they can call out and recite. And it's kind of like uh, you'd see today like Abac. Abracadabra or hocus pocus, right? You say a certain, there's a certain incantation and it mattered, historians tell us, it mattered how it was pronounced. You had to say it just right for these powers to come to your aid. And so I want to show you the list of these six words or these six names. These, this is the Ephesia Grammata. Uh, it's the words Askion, Kataskion, Lix, Tetrax, Demonimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnimnim
Paul's not praying, God, please give them power over these spiritual forces. No, he's praying that they would know, that they would know the resurrection power of Christ that is already at work in them, that they would know what's available to them. And I know that none of you here call out to Askion, Kataskion, and Lix and Tetrax, and none of you trust in those names or powers. I get that. But I want to ask you, honestly, I want to really ask you to, to stop and think, what powers here in 2023 do you trust in, do you turn to every day? And maybe you don't even realize you trust so much in it. So I realize some of us trust in the power of people. And you rely so heavily on this guy or, or this girl to give me my sense of significance, my sense of, of worth. Some of you guys are trusting so much in the power of popularity. And your worth is found in how many people like you or how many people follow you, how much influence you have on social media or in your field or in your workplace or even in the church. You're trusting in the power of popularity or maybe you're trusting in the power of prestige. And it matters to you so much what school you go to, what letters you have behind your name, what degrees you have. And even parents, you matter so much, put so much weight into what school your kid goes to because that gives you power. Some of us trust so much in the power of self-medication and you're trying to find healing, which is superficial healing in in drugs, whether it's illegal or legal or over-drinking and overeating, and you're hoping that this heals your heart and you're trusting in that power. And I pray, church, that you would stop trusting in lesser powers and that you would know firsthand that you would experience and engage with the resurrection power of God that raised a man from the dead that's available in you because Christ is in you. Think about that. If that power of God raised a man from the dead, it freed him, set him free from the grave that bound him. Is there anything that his power cannot do in you and through you? Is there anything harder than that, to raise a man back to life? A few months back, I shared about this man. You guys remember Dick Hoyt? And I shared about how this, this father, out of love for his son, has done some incredible feats, including the Ironman triathlon, not just triathlon, but the Ironman triathlon, which if you don't know, in the Ironman, you run 26.2 miles in a marathon. That's a full marathon. And if that doesn't kill you, he, you, you go on from there to run or to swim a 2.4 mile swim in the water. If you're not dead by then, you, you got to jump on a bike and ride for 112 miles on a bike to finish the Ironman triathlon. Dick Hoyt didn't just do that once, which many people would dream to do. He's done it six times in his life, and not alone. He did it carrying his special needs son. His son, who is cerebral palsy, he's carried him through all six of those triathlons. That's incredible. Dick Hoyt is incredibly able, incredibly strong. That's power. That's human power. Now, let's say I'm so inspired by that story, and I, I say, I want to do something crazy, and I, I want to accomplish something, so, so this year, I sign up for the Turkey Trot 5K. I'm going to do it. I've never done a 5K. I've never run a race. I'm going to sign up for the 5K, and I start training, and right into my training, first week, I'm realizing, I can't do it. Like, I'm going to die. There's no way I can sur survive the Turkey Trot 5K, and I start complaining and crying, and, and what if... Iron Man Dick Hoyt comes to me, comes alongside me and says, Greg, 
I got you. I'm going to train you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you there. I'm going to run with you. You'll be ready on the day of the turkey trot 5K. I'm going to be with you. And if, if for whatever reason you can't do it, I'm going to carry you across the finish line. And I'm just overwhelmed. No, you can't. Like, it's too hard. I'm going to die. My legs are going to fall off and my thighs are going to explode. It's, it's just too much. It's overwhelming. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to carry you. No, you can't. You're not strong enough. I don't think you, we're both going to die. Would you not grab me, shake me, slap me a few times and say, do you realize who's talking to you right now? Do you realize who Dick Coy is and what he's done? He's completed an Ironman triathlon. Do you know how many Ks that is? I did the math. I Googled it. That's over 225 Ks of running, swimming, and cycling in one day. 225. This ain't no dinky little 5K. This ain't a little turkey trot. This is the Ironman coming to your aid. And if I understood, if I really understood what he's already accomplished, that I would understand that this 5K is incomparable. doesn't even compare to what he's already accomplished. If I understood that, then I would trust that he could get me through this lesser thing. Church, do you understand what the God inside of you has already accomplished? He has conquered the grave. He has raised a man back to life and exalted him to the right hand of the throne of God. Is there anything your God cannot do? Is there anything? Do you trust that his power is able to heal your soul in ways that self-medication can? Do you trust that his power is able to fill you in ways where people fail you? Do you trust that his power is able to break the bonds of addiction and depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts? Do you, do you trust that? This is no simple thing. I'm talking about the resurrection power of God. Is there anything that he cannot do based off what he's already accomplished? You have the resurrection power of God inside of you. Now, how do you experience that? There's, there's a lot of ways practically. But let me just give you one practical way. I, I hope this speaks to someone. There are many ways to experience the freeing power of God, but, but here's one. Find a believer or find a couple believers in your life whom you can share with and speak out whatever struggle is overpowering you. Speak it out to them. Because I believe when you do, when you uncover your sin and you pull it out of the darkness and you expose it to the light, somehow the grips of what overpowers you begins to lose its grip, begins to loosen in your life. I believe what Proverbs 28, 13 says. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us that the one who conceals and, you know, hides his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. You'll find the compassion and the help that you need when you reveal it. And so when you uncover that sin, I, I believe you'll start to receive the power of God because you're going to receive prayer from the church. You're going to receive accountability from your brothers and sisters. You're going to receive their compassion. You're going to receive their care and their counsel. And I believe you'll begin to know, to know, know the power of Christ that dwells in his people. You'll experience Christ raising you up. Because that's what he's in the business of doing. He, he's in the business of raising people up. He's a resurrection God. Amen? Amen? Christ, 
here's the thing. Here's what's great. Christ didn't just overpower the grave and come back to earth. No, that power continued to, to exalt him and raise him to the highest place, to the right hand of the throne of God. Here's how the passage finishes, the, the, the prayer finishes in verse 22 and 23. And he put all things, Christ put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I love that picture. Just imagine it. Christ on the throne, and he has placed everything in the universe. Every power and authority is under his feet. He has made them a footstool for him to rest on. That means he has power and authority over everything under him. Let me close with this. I shared with you this picture last week of our group that went to Israel, the Holy Land. And I want to put it back up for you because this actual moment was, was a powerful moment for us. It was a highlight for a lot of us on this, on this trip because we were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee. And that sea was the sea that we often read about Jesus being on in the New Testament. And it was this day we're, we're sailing on the Sea of Galilee and I'm remembering Mark chapter 4. And Mark chapter 4 is this story where the disciples and Jesus are, they're, they're in this boat on the Sea of Galilee, those very waters. And it says that the storm was raging and the sea was tossing the, the boat back and forth. And they're freaking out because the water's li- literally coming over. It's coming over their boat. It's, it's going over their heads. And I understand, as a surfer, I understand the power and the threat of water. I've been held down. I've been tossed around, put to the spin cycle. I've been tossed around like a ragdoll, wondering if I'm going to live. I know that my life is at the mercy of the waters. It's powerful. So I could only imagine what they were feeling, and they cry out, Jesus, don't you care? Do something. Do something, Master. And what does Jesus do in Mark chapter 4? He, he rebukes the, the wind and the waves, and he says, peace, be still. And the waters became still. They submitted to him and they say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? I'll tell you who he is. He's Jesus. That's power and authority. Then we go two chapters later, Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, once again, the disciples are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And once again, the winds are up and it's crashing against their boat. Once again, they're in the struggle. And they look out of the boat. And what do the disciples see? They see Jesus walking on the water. In other words, those very same waters that were just over their head and overwhelming them two chapters ago is the very water underneath his feet. And that's only because he has power and authority. I'm telling you, the things that overwhelm us and overpower us are underneath his feet. That's power and authority. Who in the world is this man whom even the wind and the waves obey him? His name is Jesus. He's the same man whom even the angels and the demons bow down to. He's the same man whom chains and bonds are broken. And he's the same man who is able to fill us with hope and and power and glory in resurrection. 
Who is this man? Well, his name is Jesus. He is the one who not only resurrected, but reigns today as King of kings, Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And so I pray, church, that you would know, that you would know, know, that you would experience today that he is the one who gives hope for the call, who finds worth in you, his inheritance, and whose great power is at work in you. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads? Let's respond in worship. And I want to invite you, if you already know Jesus, you've given him your life, you've surrendered to him, and you owe to him. You spend this moment just to pray that you would epigonosco him, that you would experience him in a deep, deep way today and tomorrow and moving forward. As you spend time in prayer, I want to actually speak to those who don't know Christ yet. And maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here in person and you wouldn't say you're a Christian. Maybe you're just visiting or checking this out. I'm so glad you're here. I don't think it's an accident. And maybe, maybe you'd say you don't know. I'd say, well, if you don't know, now you know. At least you ought to know. You know what Christ has done and what he's able to do in you. And I pray that you would epigonosco, that you would know him in a very real personal way. If that's you, the Bible says that you simply believe by faith. That Jesus died to forgive you your sins and he rose from the grave to prove he has power and authority to give life. You believe that by faith today? You commit your life to that truth? You, you're saved. You don't have to do anything but believe in that. And then from this day forward, just repent, turn from your old life and say, God, I want to live a new life. Give me the power and the strength to live a new life. And he will walk with you. He'll carry you to glory, okay? So I want to pray with you. If that's you, you want to make that commitment today, I'm going to pray a prayer um, just as an example for you, but I want you to pray those very words as if you were talking to God. Express your faith to Him and know that He hears you. Pray this. Father God, thank you so much for allowing me to hear of your love for me. Thank you for allowing me to hear of what Christ has done. He died and he rose from the grave. So today I just want to say I believe that. I believe it with my heart. And I want to commit my life to that truth. So help me, God. From this day forward, help me to, to, to live the rest of my life with the power of Christ in me. And I know it's not going to make me perfect overnight. But Lord, I pray that I would continually look to you and trust you each day and see you at work in me, changing me day after day after day. Thank you for the hope that I know I have from this moment on, the hope of eternity and the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. Here's my heart. Make it yours. And together as a church, we thank you, we praise you, and we continue to sing with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.